Why don't you grab your Bibles and turn, if you would, with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Well, it was 81 years ago, on January 6, 1941, that present FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, um, stood and delivered the State of the Union Address that would become really probably one of his most famous um, but you know, uh, it's iconic even to see the little old grainy video of it, you know, where he said, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. You know, as Americans, um, you know, as people in the world, not just really Americans, but as we all kind of end, you know, end 2021 and now we're into 2022, um, you know, well into now our third year of pandemic uh, living, you know, therapists around the country are finding themselves in, um, in real trouble because they, they're way behind on the mental health crisis that's happening in association with what's going on with uh, the fear and anxiety and the worry. It's, it's off the charts. Uh, studies have been recently just put out about how fearful people are today. And it's funny because I think we all saw it. You can see people freaking out, literally. Um, losing their minds, uh, like it's, it's amazing all the stuff you see. Um, people just really, really afraid uh, of, of the, uh, the coronavirus. Um, people are, I think, really afraid of being sick and really afraid of death. Um, and it, you know, some people say, well, who wouldn't be afraid of death? Well, that's just today. I mean, there's, there's generations before that um, we didn't have that fearful, uh, you know, mental health crisis that we do today. Um, social workers, psychologists, counselors from every state say they can't keep up with an unrelenting demand for their services, and uh, many patients are being turned away just because there's no, no time, uh, including children, by the way. Children are exponentially, uh, in the last two years, um, being taken into therapists and being you know, treated for all kinds of uh, anxiety and what have you. Uh, one therapist uh, said, all the therapists I know have experienced a demand for therapy that is like nothing they've experienced before, said Tom uh, Lakusa, a licensed clinical social worker in Long Meadow, Massachusetts. Every available time slot I can offer is filled. Uh, Peter Stearns, author of American Fear, The Cause and Consequences of High Anxiety. Uh, he said, currently fear has become in some ways slightly fashionable so uh, maybe people are even exaggerating it a little bit. Um, that's what they're finding, that fear has become fashionable, and so people are exaggerating it because it is fashionable. Um, that does kind of make sense to me, because when I see stuff out there and the fearful stuff, um, I think you know some of these stores you know, where you go in and there's always those people that are just horrified. And you see videos about that um, around the country and what have you of, um, you know, people just totally freaked out. My favorite one, I think, is this. It's just kind of a funny video because, I don't know, some dude is in some store. I don't know if it's like Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that, which that's weird right there. But um, <laughs> um, but he, he seems like a normal dude, right? He's just this dude in Bed Bath & Beyond. And so he pulls, he pulls his mask down just to smell one of the candles. Uh, uh, and, and he just kind of goes like this, and the store freaks out. Like the manager comes right, put, raise your mask, ah! And people are just freaking out, get out of our store! Like, like people are freaked out, and, I, and, it's just, it, and the guy's just kind of stunned. As he, I just wanted to smell the candle. You know, it's like, uh, it's just, the whole thing is so ironic to me, and this dude smelling candles, and I don't know, the whole thing just kind of cracks me up. But, um, people are nuts right now when it comes to fear. You know, slightly more than half of Americans dread uh, 2022, they said in a study that was recently done. Um, and they're fearful about what, whatever's in store for 2022. 50% pre uh, predicting that the new year will be bad for the economy. Um, and that they believe the inflation will rise and the supply chain, uh, chain shortages will get worse. Um, they, they did a poll, by the way, on the last day of 2021, that's, that was basically the thing they found. Most Americans feel like things are gonna be worse in 2022. Along with 51% who fear that 2022 20, will mean for the US um, uh, uh, much, much of what uh, has happened this past year will be magnified in this coming year. And 
And you know, they talk about things that they're most worried about. And the number one worry this year, uh, which is, it's usually something else. The top, the top ones tend to be finances, your personal you know, finances and um, work is actually always at the top of the list, like your career and, and uh, getting a job or going to a job that you hate or not being appreciated or feeling like you're good enough at your job or deadlines or other people at work. Usually your work is at the top of the list, finances. But you know, COVID of course is at the top of the list uh, of people's fears today. And, and then you know, uh, finances or money. Uh, a lot of people worry about their health uh, and a lot of people worry about what other people think about them. That's, that's always on the top of the list. And then uh, sadly, a lot of people worry about the past, which uh, we know how, that, how effective that is. Uh, worrying about the, va- the past, but, but um, you know, when they talk about what do people worry about the most, you know, the COVID thing and death and illness is one of the big ones right now. Dr. Uh, Walter uh, Cavert uh, reported on uh, a survey uh, about fear and worry. And it indicated that in his findings, only 8% of the things people worry about are actually legitimate matters of concern. <laughs> only 8%. Um, the other 92% were either imaginary or never actually came to fruition or never happened. Um, so 8% turned out to be worryable, if you would. Everything else is a big waste of time when you are fearful or worrying about things. And, and so um, there's various kinds of fears that are on the rise that we, we, we maybe knew a little bit about before, but we're seeing it more and more, and that is um, social phobia. That's a big one on the rise right now. Social phobia is, um, it's often defined as the extreme fear of social situations where the individual is afraid of being judged by or embarrassed in front of other people. And with the coronavirus and things like masks and uh, you know, social distancing and stuff like that, those, the social phobia, the studies have shown that that's just gone off the charts. Um, nearly uh, 17% of people with social phobias develop depression. Um, the majority of them turn to medication, uh, even substance abuse with illegal drugs. 17% of people with social phobias turn to alcohol, uh, pardon me, drugs, and 19% of people with social phobias uh, turn to alcohol to sort of remedy their situation. Now, um, why is fear going unchecked? Some people might just say, well, it's the days we're living and uh, coronavirus. But I have a theory that I wanna float with you guys on this morning at this Ironworks for the brothers here. I have a bit of a theory uh, uh, about what's actually happening that may be uh, less coronavirus's fault and it might be more of men's fault, the fault of men. Um, that's one of the things I like about Ironworks is we can talk about guy stuff. And, um, and I'm a little more comfortable about that. Whenever you hear me preaching about, you know, women things in front of the church, man, I talk about a fish out of water. I'm, I'm just like, okay, uh, so ladies, uh, you know, it's like, uh, and I, I just, I'm not very uncomfortable. I like talking about guy things because um, that's something I can sort of relate to. Um, but, <laughs> but, <clears throat> um, did you know, and this isn't meant to be a knock on women, of course, but uh, this is a fact. You can look it up. Women experience anxiety disorders at twice the rate of men. I know that that might sound insulting, but it also sounds logical. I mean, that's kind of what we see out there. Um, so, so the anxiety and fear is something that women, according to the studies, uh, twice the rate that men experience it, according to um, a study in the journal Brain and Behavior is where I got that particular uh, study. But there's many out there and they all kind of agree. It's, it's, it's you know, basically two times the likelihood of being fearful or full of anxiety than men. Men in our culture, what's happened in these recent de- decades? Um, men have been told, step aside. Um, toxic masculinity. Um, and being a strong man uh, is, a, is something that's sort of frowned upon in our society. And, and uh, you know what's interesting about guys? Um, we just tend to, in, in so many things that we shouldn't, I, the things that we should, the things we shouldn't, and the things that we should care about, we'll, we'll just step aside. I see this kind of in a microcosm of a marriage. 
Some of you guys are married to a very strong woman. I'm one of them, by the way. I have a spark plug for a wife. Uh, and I love her because of that. That's why I love Debbie is because she's not a pushover. Uh, you don't really wanna mess with Debbie. That's just the truth of the matter. Um, and, uh, but I love that part of her. But at the same time, um, I've observed if you're not careful as, as a man, you can just say, well, my wife's doing all the stuff. I mean, look, she's doing all the work. And um, so I'll just step aside. And we have this, this tendency just to step aside, especially in the uh, context of, of strong women. And, uh, and we sort of check in our leadership card and, and, and what God has called us to be because women are doing what we're supposed to do. Um, it's a little bit like right in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam is sort of this doofy, passive bystander in the whole story, if you know what I mean. I mean, was he there chomping in the fruit? Nope, it was Eve. She was deceived first. Uh, he was just kind of standing there looking at the naked woman. And then she's like, hey, you big boy, want a bite of my apple? Yeah, okay, I'll take the apple. <laughs> it's like uh, this passive man just standing by. And, and you know what's amazing? Adam gets blamed for the whole thing. Um, the Adam bomb. Um, and, and even Adam tried to say, the woman that you made for me, Lord, she took the fruit. Like, remember when he said, the woman you made for me? Like, that, that's pretty bold for Adam to sort of blame God because Eve took the first bite and lured him into eating the second bite. But... But the point is, um, if you really kind of look at that story and then you kind of carry it out throughout the Bible, what was Adam not doing? He was not being a man that covered his wife. He was just passively standing off in the you know, trees somewhere and letting her be enlightened by Satan. Um, by the way, did you see how that little elementary school is letting the Satan club in now? And like, it's crazy uh, what we do today. And this, you know, he was on the, the news last night. I watched this dude that, oh yeah, we, we background check all of our Satanists before they go in. And like, it's just so ridiculous, ridiculous. Um, but Satan is, was there in the garden luring Eve into eating. And Adam, he was not there. He was the absentee husband. He was not doing what a, a good man does, and that is to cover his wife, to watch out for her. Oh, but she's really smart, and she knew what she was doing. No, um, the Lord calls men to cover. In 1 Timothy, God says that, you know, through Paul the apostle, and people try to say this isn't for today, this was just the culture of the day, which is ridiculous, but men are called to lead the church, not women. Strong language there. People, people really hate that, that whole thing about, you know, especially, you know, if you go to these, um, you know, uh, egalitarian sort of colleges or churches that say women can be senior pastors, teaching pastors, elders in the church, that's just people blowing off the Bible. Um, George Fox believes that. They come and yell at me from time to time because we don't have women elders and, and women pastors here at Athey Creek. Um, I tell them just go back to their little um, college and do what they do, but uh, we're gonna keep teaching the Bible here at Athey Creek. Now, here's the thing. Uh, people say, but you're Stenoger. No, I'm just the guy who's trying to teach what the Bible says. But, but isn't it interesting? They say, George Fox and those you know, egalitarian, um, see, we, we're more of a complementarian view. That is, um, we believe men and women were created different and we complement each other. And at Athey Creek, uh, women are, it's just, they're just as smart. Um, I think they're better than men. I really do. If you know me, if you know our Athey Creek view, we think women are better than men. They should be honored. We're to treat women with honor. And, um, and, and um, the idea of women being less than, that's just other people trying to create sort of a controversy around our, our view of being Bible-believing men. But, but all this to say, if you think that 1 Timothy chapter two is all about um, just that time period of Paul, and Paul was a misogynistic uh, whatever of his day, that's just incorrect because it's all scriptures inspired, we know that. And then in 1 Timothy, we know that um, it says that women are to learn in silence and subjection. That is the men are supposed to teach the word um, and not the women. And then it gives the reason why. Because in the Garden of Eden, it was Eve who was deceived by Satan uh, and not the man. Uh, man was deceived by the naked woman. Uh, that's still a problem today, and I would refer you to our last two prof, uh, uh, ironwork studies, I should say, on that one. Um, but, but the thing is, um, we're, we're called to lead the church. And what's interesting, we're called to lead our homes, our churches, our marriages. We're supposed to be leaders in that. But what I've found is men, we are so quick to just kind of back off. 
and check out because, well, the world doesn't really like us right now. Um, the world thinks that we're toxic because we're strong, confident men. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There is probably, uh, you know, and, and it's hard, hard for me to kind of try to define this, but there is toxic masculinity, of course. You show me a lot of bad behaving men, I'll show you what I believe is legitimate toxic behavior. Um, abusive men or ogres marching around like they're in charge of everybody. I'm the boss of you. And if you're a husband saying, woman, submit to me, you are a weirdo. Any husband that's saying, woman, you're supposed to submit to me, he's a horrible leader. Leadership is something that you, you do and it's something that you earn to that position to be a leader. And then, you, you know, your family, your church, or your people that work for you, whoever you're, whoever you're trying to lead, you gotta lead by example and, and be legitimate as a leader. So I'm not arguing for ogreship or weirdness of men being, oh, we're men, so we're tough and we're fearless and all that. Um, there's a lot of guys out there that sort of confuse this tough man, fearless thing. Uh, compared to godly courage, godly male leadership, um, confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in the Lord. There's a confusion there. So let's, let's make sure and separate those things. I'm not talking about abusive, toxic masculinity or any of that stuff. Um, I don't even like the phrase toxic masculinity because um, some of what I believe we're supposed to do, they put it in that category of toxic masculinity. You understand what I'm saying? So, so forget that term altogether. There's good guys and there's bad guys. And the Bible teaches us how to be good guys. Um, but it doesn't mean check in your man card or your leadership card or don't step aside because, well, we don't wanna hear from you because you're a male. Um, and so men, a lot of men, I think, are checking out and they're just sitting around watching TV or you know, letting their wives sort of lead the charge. And, 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 and could it be the, the 50% that is less fearful and anxiety um, and the other 50% that, 50% that is, they're the ones who are being the loudest. If you look on social media, a lot of women are freaking out because of toxic this or, or masks that or injections or vaccines and people are getting all fearful and worked up in a tizzy. But I wonder where the men are that are the calming factor. Um, you know, I, I feel like as a guy who's getting older, I've watched gener a few generations of men come and go now. You know, my, my grandpa fought in Okinawa and he was a World War II vet and his generation, whole different kind of dude than what we see today, whole different dude. Uh, and then I watched my dad's generation and, and man, um, you know, it was, it was a work ethic and, and men that were strong and, you know, and, and I was fortunate and blessed. Um, some of you guys, I feel for you because you never had a great model for men in your lives and that's something that's worse today than it has ever been. But I'm one of those guys that I had, tons of men around my life that were just solid, good, hardworking, leader type people. My dad, uh, top of the list there, uh, hardworking leader. You know, my dad was a superintendent by the age of 23 of huge, heavy construction. He, um, he, he was 23 years old when he was a superintendent on the Chetco River Bridge. If you go down to Brookings, Oregon, and you drive by the Dairy Queen, uh, you kind of come out of town there and there's this bridge that kind of sweeps around, huge bridge, sweeps around up uh, Highway 101. Uh, my dad was a superintendent on that job, Peter Kiewit, uh, superintendent, 23 years old. There's a, there's a story, by the way, on that um, that cracks me up. My dad's first day on the, that job, um, he was really wanting to impress, uh, you know, his, his boss with Peter Kiewit. Um, and my dad had the you know, yellow and truck with the black hood. Those of you guys that know Kiewit and Sons. Um, but, uh, but my dad was at, at work and he, uh, the, the, the guy was, the, 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 one of the owners of, or of the company, I don't know who it was, but he was an uppity up. And he was there sitting by a pile of lumber and had a, um, had a set of plans out on the, on the pile of lumber and he's kind of looking at it. And, and they're like, hey, Todd, that's my dad. Come over here a second. And so my dad, you know, young superintendent, wanting to impress, comes running over, jumps up on the pile of lumber and says, yes, yes, sir, what can I do? And the guy looks at my dad and says, well, the first thing you can do is get off this two by six. My fingers are under it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but... Um, but, but, you know, um, my dad proved, uh, that job was an amazing job. There was a massive flood that happened uh, at the Chetco River that year. And, um, uh, you know, he had to work through that while they were building this bridge. It was an amazing story. But, but I just got to watch, uh, you know, that kind of a generation of a guy, hardworking, leader, leader of men. And, um, and I was just blessed. I, I had this object lesson just right in front of me my whole life growing up. 
um, and, and working at teaching me uh, just you know, about what it is to be a man who uh, loves the Lord, but is also leading. And, and so I, I understand, you, some of you guys might, well, Brad, well, I didn't have a dad like that. Well, you've got the word of God, that's even better. You've got the word of God, and that's why we look to this, the word of God. And, and so the Bible um, tells us what we're supposed to do. I believe men have just obliged and let women and, and our culture sort of dictate what we should and shouldn't do. And what are, we, what are we doing with that? The more men back off and sort of chill out, especially the men that should be stepping forward. I fear that some of the men that are stepping forward right now are the last guys that we should be stepping forward and leading. Um, we, need, we need some of the guys that tend to be a little more on the quiet side to maybe step up their game a little bit because the Bible puts it on men to lead the church, to lead our families, but how are we doing? And who's the loudest today? I think there's a reason why fear is on the exponential growth chart because, um, because men that could bring a calm to the situation are not. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but there's a scene. Uh, did, did you guys ever watch The Unit? Uh, quite a few years ago. It was like a special forces uh, a kind of a TV show. I think it was like maybe three or four seasons. But in one of the seasons, um, this elite special forces team, they're doing some operation in Afghanistan, but they end up having to kind of go a different direction. And they, they're, they're kind of in a pickle because there's all these Afghanistan fighters and stuff. So, so they go, they, they find this little supply depot that where these American, uh, just normal, you know, hardworking soldiers are. But they find this little group out there in the middle of nowhere, sort of in disarray. There's this lady who's leading, she's the commanding officer of this little supply base. It's basically some containers and some supplies, but they're sort of surrounded. And, and all the soldiers there are kind of freaking out. Well, when the special forces team come in, they start saying, hey, we're gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right. And they start setting up for this big attack. And, but all these kind of newbie first tier soldiers don't know what to do. Um, but, um, but these elite guys do. Well, one of the great scenes, bullets start flying and everybody, pew, pew, and all the, the inexperienced military personnel are kind of freaking out. Even the commanding officer of the base, she's kind of, oh, she's got this look of anxiety as she's running around trying to tell, she's trying to step up, you know, but she's got this look of total anxiety. Well, what's the name of the guy? Dennis Haysbert, you know, he's, he's a good actor. He, he comes up, he's the lead special unit guy. And he, he walks up, bullets are zinging, and he, he's got a smile on his face. And he says to the lady, he says, hey, make sure to put a smile on your face. It, it, it you know, promotes confidence in the, in the rest of the, you know. And, and he's smiling, you know, he's like, make sure to smile. Pure, 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 bullets fly, you know. And she's like, oh, ha, and she runs off, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but see, the reason I love that scene, that, that's my dad. My dad taught me, Brett, you know, when you're, when you're doing this, you know, um, everything from like when you're lifting something, don't go, eh. like my dad said, no, you make it look easy. You know, you even, you're, don't let your face, you know, because, uh, you know, there's something about your facial expression. And by the way, I, my son, Joey, he's um, in jiu-jitsu and it's so funny to me because um, as a brown belt, he, he gets in some pretty uh, competitive roles and stuff. But What's interesting is to watch all those guys, they train them to all look very relaxed. I mean, you could have your, your, your leg and arm in some pretzel and you're still just nice, calm, breathe as he's snap, snap, snapping your arms and stuff. Um, no problem, you know, like it, it's, it's funny. If you go to a jiu-jitsu uh, tournament, it's all quiet. And I, I guess some of the tournaments, Joey, is it right? If you grunt too loud, you're out, like you're disqualified. Uh, like it's kind of an amazing thing. Uh, but anyway, that, that's what the Lord would have us to be, men that are being twisted and contorted, but keep your face calm, put your trust in the Lord, and exude confidence, not in yourself, but in the Lord. The reason I, I kind of do this big introduction is because I, I need us to hear perhaps what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter six, uh, especially as it uh, you know, relates to us as men and what we're called to be. Let's dive into this. It's, of course, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. A lot of red letters here. And, um, and Jesus talks about worry and fear and nails it down beautifully here. It says in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I say unto you, Take no thought, or some of your newer translations, do not worry for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? 
Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? For those of you environmentalists that think the snowy plover bird is more important than people, uh, Jesus disagrees with you on that, by the way. Just, to sum, just, a, just a freebie for you. Um, verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And by the way, the word Gentile there is probably better translated pagans or heathens. Some of your newer translations put it that way. So, so verse 32, for all these things do the heathens go after. For your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the tom for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day uh, is the evil thereof. Um, that last verse, verse 34, uh, I like the way the NIV puts it. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Boy, isn't that the truth? Jesus knows what he's talking about because guess what? He's God and he knows all things. So here's God speaking to humanity through his son Jesus saying, don't worry about what you're gonna wear or what you're gonna do or what you're gonna eat or drink and, and take no thought, don't be worried. Are you gonna add a foot to your stature by just worrying about it? Um, and this idea of fear and anxiety and, and worry and stuff like that, Jesus is just saying, man, even, even the birds of the air, they don't have to worry about what they're gonna be clothed with. I take care of that. And how much more important are you than a bird, the Lord is saying. Um, I believe it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he said, the result of worrying about the future is that you cripple yourself in the present. Um, you know, the, the fearful man uh, today is of no use. The guy that's running around fearful and full of anxiety, that's not gonna help the situation. And, and that's what I worry about. The men that are confident in the Lord, I think we're sitting back and maybe chilling a little too much. And then the men that are fearful, whatever percentage that is, they're kind of out at the forefront. And you'll see a lot of those fearful people in our society, in our culture, um, even in leadership positions. Um, the idea of uh, leading by fearful uh, tactics. This is a fairly new thing, by the way. Um, I was kind of doing some research on this and um, I should have brought the commercial. There was a, a commercial, I think it was Lyndon B. Johnson. They, they accredit him with the first politician in America to use the tactic of total fear to try to be elected. And he did this, um, this little girl picking daisies uh, thing. I don't know, if some of you guys might be old enough to remember that, but it's still kind of in, blazed in the memory of people because it was kind of the first time you know, this politician used total fear tactic. And, and it's funny, because today it's all fear tactic. Uh, it's a little slicker than Lyndon B. Johnson back in the old days, but, but the fear tactics of today is to just make everybody uncertain of what's going on. And so we can control you. Government can control you and, and we've got the answer. So be afraid, but we've got you kind of thing. And, and um, man, I, I, I don't think it's working that well uh, as um, we're, we're, uh, we're a people who are being led by a president who doesn't even know what day it is and saying, yeah, there's a lot of things to be afraid of, but uh, I got you. Oh boy. And, and, and by the way, this is one of the biggest things that's causing men to run around fearful is our current political situation. And, and again, no matter what side of the argument you're on, I see fear on all sides of this. Uh, people are just generally afraid. And, and, uh, and, and the Lord tells us, no, don't worry about what you're gonna eat or drink. That's the economy. Uh, the clothes you're gonna wear. And, and I'll take care of you provisionally, the Lord says, and your health and all that stuff that people are so easily fearful of. 
Um, but, but what are you and I as godly Christian men to do? We're not to run around fearful or shaking everybody up, but I, I feel like that commanding officer, we need to put a smile on our face and tell our families, you know what? God is good and he's gonna work all this stuff out. Um, we need to exude confidence in the Lord. Um, probably in the last two years of all this fearful tactic that I see, I think that's from Satan largely, um, but it's also from people just that are stupid. Um, but, um, but this whole fearful thing, the, the, the scripture that constantly comes to my mind is 2 Timothy 1.7. You guys know it well. Um, it says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what's lacking in our culture today. This, this, this man that has the power of God in him. And so he's not given over to this panicky, fearful sort of demeanor. Um, we need to just put away that, that spirit of fear. And, and when it calls it a spirit of fear, there's a spiritual part of this. It's not that somebody's just afraid and wow, he's a fearful guy. There's a spiritual uh, lack in a person that's running around fearful. There's, there, there might even be spiritual demonic entities. There's this thing here that seems to be called, the, you know, the spirit of fear. The Bible calls it that. I don't want that in my life. So what are we supposed to do? Well, it says, instead of being given over to that spirit of fear, um, you and I are called to three things, power and love and a sound mind. Oh, that's lacking today. We need men that have that power. And I love it that it's not just power because power without love, oh my goodness, that can get ugly real fast. But power and then love, which is sort of the, the safety net. If you got a powerful man, but you also have a, lo a loving man, oh, good combo. And then the sound mind, man, a sound mind. That's what the Lord will, will give to the man that puts his trust in the, in the Lord. God gives us power over fear and worry. See, now some of you are like, Brett, good for you. You're not a fearful guy. Oh, I, I am. I have things I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that lady at, you know, Costco that might yell at me someday. That's not happened, thank the Lord, because I never go to Costco. <laughs> Maybe Home Depot. Okay, so if I'm on Home Depot and I don't have a mascot or something and some lady, ah! like, like I, I'm generally afraid of that. That scares me. Um, Maybe even worse if some dude comes up and starts yelling at me. I, I'm afraid of that because I'm afraid I might, what, what I might do to that guy and then I won't be able to be pastor here and you'll have to send me a cake with a hacksaw. I don't know, anyway, no, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. I, I just, I just, I do, there's things I do fear. And, and you know, it's funny because um, people ask me, Brad, why, how did you learn to be so, you know, comfortable up in front of a crowd? Because that's one of people's biggest fears is speaking in front of a crowd. And the funniest thing is people that know me, and Debbie knows this more than anybody, I still am horrified every time I get up in front of you guys. It's true, I, I'll admit that. Um, I've just learned to kind of cover it over and, and do what my dad does, smile and make them think you're totally comfortable up there. <laughs> but every time, especially before I get up on this platform and start teaching the Bible, I feel a, a, a kind of that sense of fearfulness because, and I don't know what it is, it could be a lot of things. Sometimes it could just be pride. I hope I don't look like an idiot in front of everybody today. Uh, that's, a, that's a problem. Most of the time it's not that I have to say though, it's, it's more of a, of a thing where I feel a, a sort of, sort of um, sense of importance of the word of God. The word is so perfect. And when, when you start handling the word, I get afraid that I might mishandle the word, like uh, misrepresenting God or, or saying something that's more uh, my feeling and not really in line with what God has. Like there's things I legitimately fear when I get up in front. And, and, and so while I might, uh, some people might say, Brett, you seem pretty comfortable up there. Oh, I'm not. And, 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 and the, the truth is each one of you probably have fears whether you wanna admit it or not. Um, and the fears can come in all shapes and sizes. But I love how the Bible handles fear and anxiety, um, worry, kind of in a big, big swooping treatment. So it doesn't matter what your fears are as much as just do what the Bible says. By the way, I've gotta, I've gotta say this too, because I'm so sick of people making things so complicated. Um, okay, you've got anxiety. Well, what you need to do is get a therapist and take these medica med medications, and we need to dig into your deeper past, and we need to find out what your trigger points are. And, and I understand there's, there's certain truths to all that stuff or some of it, but I love how the Bible just says, fear not. Don't you love the Bible for that? Brett, it's not that simple. Well, then you disagree with Jesus, the one who created you and your body and your brain. 
Like, I'm serious about that. Like, like um, you know, um, the pornography issue, we sort of talked about that. And I joked around, but kind of serious. Remember I said, I've got the surefire way for you guys to have victory over pornography. And, and you're like, yeah, I saw you guys, you were bated breath. What's he gonna say? This is the sure way. And then I said, just don't look at porn. Just don't look at it. Um, and some people are like, oh, well, it's not that simple. Well, the Bible says flee fornication. It is that simple. Like, just don't do it. Run. Like, the other way. And, 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 um, and our culture and academia and your college professors, oh, it's not that simple. Oh, it's way more complicated. Than that. And, and I think that fear is one of those things where people overcomplicate. While the Bible's saying, fear not. Um, we say, oh, it's just not that simple. Um, God gives us the power over fear. We're not given over the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Um, can I show you some uh, where those powers come from, I think? If you wanna try to make it more complicated, let's do it. Uh, but the Bible actually keeps it real simple. Let me show you what I mean. Number one, the power over fear. Um, jot this down, you know, it's the power of seeking. The power of seeking. Did you see in our text here in Matthew chapter six, it's talking about don't worry about tomorrow, don't worry about your, your money and your clothes and your food, and don't worry about all this stuff the Lord says. But in, in, in 633, that famous scripture that I read this morning, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So, so the idea of the power of seeking um, the, in the context of talking about worry and anxiety, Jesus says, here's your answer. Don't worry about tomorrow. Consider the lilies of the field. The Lord takes care of them and the birds, he takes care of them. So in light of that, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This scripture is in context of fear and anxiety and worry. And he's saying the, the power over fear, we're not to get on the spirit of, of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. The power comes from seeking the Lord. So you and I as men, we need to seek the Lord. That means to pray and ask the Lord for help and ask for wisdom and direction and guidance. Seek ye first, not second or third, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the, the, the things that are right and good from God. And then it says all this other stuff will be added to you, the food, the clothes, the things we're worrying about, it'll all be taken care of as you seek first the kingdom of God. Um, I love the psalmist in Psalm 34, four, he said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. In the Bible, there's scriptures like this one and the last one that connect seeking the Lord to the absolving of the fears and the anxieties that, that we find ourselves uh, having. Um, oh man, this is so uh, powerful if a man will just do this, seek the Lord. We found this, by the way, uh, as a governing elder team here at Athey. You know, we've got a, a small group of governing elders. We call them governing elders. The Greek word is actually episkopos, which is the uh, administrative function of the church. And, but my guys, you know, we, we deal with some stressful um, topics uh, uh, as we lead a, a congregation of, you know, who knows? Um, I don't know if you guys know, Christmas Eve, we had over 10,000 people come through this building in one day. Um, those five services, 10,000 people. Uh, I'm not clapping about that. You guys can clap if you want to, but I'm fearful about that. That's, <laughs> but, but, um, but what are you gonna do with all these people? We got parking lot jammed up. We got building and children's ministries, kids stacked like logs back there. And like, like, um, like we have things that the governing elders were praying through and, and seeing what the Lord, seeking the Lord. But one of the things I love about this team of guys is we, we kind of hammer through stuff and talk about stuff. And the Lord's really blessed us as a team but there's no greater peace ever than when the small team of governing elders, we go off somewhere and pray, just pray and seek the Lord. Um, we can talk finances, we can talk business and building projects, and we can talk about this and that and the other thing, but it's when we go to seek the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, guide us, give us wisdom. Lord, we don't know what to do, but you are faithful. And, and as we just go and seek the Lord, he delivers us from all of our fears. We always come back from prayer time, just not confident in ourselves at all, but we just have a confidence that the Lord knows what he's doing. And that's how we've been led as a team for many years here at Athey Creek. And if we ever lose that, I think that'll be the day Athey Creek goes a crumbling uh, if we don't have uh, governing elders that are praying and seeking. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. So the first one is the power of seeking. The second one that I wanna mention is the power of the gospel. 
The gospel itself is a uh, deterrent to anxiety, worry, and fear. Um, Jesus in John chapter 13 starts to, well, and even earlier, Jesus starts talking about he's gonna die and go to the cross. And the disciples are scratching their heads going, what is he talking about, man? He's our leader. He's gonna be the king. He's the Messiah. They don't know that the, his plan is to go to the cross and die a horrible death. But they're starting to get the picture in John chapter 13 that Jesus said he's gonna leave us and where he's going, we can't go with him. And they start getting very fearful. The disciples, picture the poor guys. They just hung up their nets in Galilee and you know, retired their fishing boats. And now for three years, they've been following this rabbi teacher who's supposed to change the world. And now he's saying, sorry, I, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna leave you guys and you can't go with me. And they're just kind of like, what are we supposed to do? Um, and uh, that's kind of a situation I feel like a lot of people are in in 2022. What are we supposed to do this year? Um, but I love the power of the gospel. That's where Jesus talks to his guys in John 14, one through six. Let not your heart be troubled. Um, don't be worried uh, is what he says there. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. Remember in the previous chapter he said, where I'm going, you can't go with me right now. But he's saying, but there's the time where you're gonna go with me and you'll be with me forever. Uh, verse four, and whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where you're going and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus gives the remedy to anxiety and fear that they're very um, tangibly feeling right this very minute that Jesus is talking to them. And, and what does he do? He says, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Um, by the way, you can use this tactic of Jesus with your friends that are full of anxiety and worry. You can say the same six verses to anyone who's dealing with fear and anxiety. Um, you don't have to use King James, you know, letteth not thy heart be troubled. You don't have to do that. So, so what does it sound like? It might sound something like this. You got to say, man, I'm just so worried about the finances of my job and uh, the coronavirus. Uh, corona. You say, hey, don't be worried about this. And let me tell you why. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life that gets us to heaven. So we have heaven. So even if we do die on this earth right now, the gospel message is Christ died for my sins, so I have eternal life in heaven to look forward to. Like you can encourage somebody legitimately with the gospel. Um, and, and so I want you to remember that the power, not only of seeking the Lord, number two, the power of the gospel will lead to the destruction of fear and anxiety and worry. Um, number three, uh, and, and this might be the same as seeking, uh, but, um, but I have to kind of set this one apart because seeking is prayer, and, and it can be, I think, more than that even as you read the word as to seeking. But prayer itself is powerful when it comes to dealing with anxiety uh, and fear and worry. Philippians chapter four, verses six or seven, you guys know this one. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and I love this one, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, how we need men today that are walking around their households with that peace of God which passes or transcends understanding. Um, not the guy, oh, what are we gonna do? Oh, honey, should we get the, uh, the vaccine? Oh, what are we? No. Smile on his face, walk around. You know what? The Lord is good. We have nothing to fear. God is on our side. We have heaven and we have salvation in the gospel and you just exude confidence in the Lord. Oh, we need men to step up on this one um, so badly. I hope that we can do this as men because this is what we're called to do. Be anxious about some things. Nope, be anxious for nothing. So the, you've got you know, the, the power of, of seeking, the power of the gospel to get us over these, the spirit of fear, the power of prayer, but also the power of perspective. Um, you know, and man, I, I, if we had more time, I could go into this, but jot this down in your notes. 2 Kings chapter six um, is an interesting little story there where, um, do you remember um, the, the Lord is speaking to Elisha the prophet? And, uh, and, and it's interesting because the king of Syria was at war with the, the children of Israel. 
But Elisha was sort of like the first Mossad agent. Um, the Lord would just say, okay, the men of Syria are about to move over here. And so Elisha would tell everybody, okay, the men of Syria and their army is gonna move over here. And so the children of Israel would get their army positioned, ready to go. And the king of Syria would move his army. And then the children of Israel would know right where he'd be. And then they'd attack him. Well, the king of Syria is like, somebody's a spy in our, you know, in our midst. And they're like, no, we don't have any spy. And, and, and they're like, well, how does Israel know our moves before we even make them? And one guy says, well, there's this dude over there who's a prophet and they say, God tells them what we're gonna do. And the king of Syria is like, oh man, how do you do that? We said, let's go to that guy's house. So they, the king of Syria brings a huge army and, uh, and goes over to that little region, that little town where Elisha the prophet lives. And, um, and, and you know, the, the king's just saying, man, the God of Elisha, this prophet, tells him what I'm thinking when I'm laying on my bed in my bed chamber, like at nighttime, like, like in living color, Elisha the prophet has it. So they get the ch horses and chariot, they, they compass around the city where Elisha is living. And, uh, and let me just read the, this part of the story, this is great. And when the servant of the man of God, that, um, this is a guy probably named Gehazi, um, when the servant of Elisha was risen up early in the morning and went forth, behold, a host, the host of army of the Syrians were compassed about the, the town with horses and chariots. And the servant of Elijah said, alas, my master, what should we do? Now that's what the coronavirus people look like. What are we gonna do? <laughs> totally freaking out. That's many of the men of our society today. What are we gonna do? Now I love this because <clears throat> I gotta be careful. I'm gonna start that little tickle coffee thing and then I'll sit here and turn purple and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> but anyway, what are we gonna do? So verse 16, the, the prophet says, fear not. Good word. That's what you and I should be saying. You know, again, you don't have to say that. Don't be afraid. For they that be with us are more than be with them. I'm sure Gehazi's like, uh, hello. Um, one, two, two. And out there's a huge army. Uh, hello, your math is off, Elijah the prophet. But actually what happens, he says, <coughs> excuse me, he says, um, the, the, they that be with us are more of them. So Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed uh, unto the Lord and, and said, smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote the whole army with blindness according to the word of Elijah. Don't you love this? Um, so all these Syrians, hey, we're gonna get you, you prophet man of God. And Elisha says, Lord, blind their eyes. They're all, hey, wait a minute, we can't see. And the story goes on, Elisha and the guy, they kind of say, we'll lead you. And so they took the army that was blind and led them to the, um, basically the SEAL team center, uh, Navy SEAL uh, center of Israel, where they were standing there uh, totally vulnerable. It was a great story, great story. The, the point is, this story reminds us that there are things unseen going on behind in the background. Spiritual chariots of fire that, are, that were on Elisha's side and were not on the Syrian side. So some people might say, Brett, you guys at Athey Creek are cavalier or uncaring about the coronavirus. No, we realize it's real. I've had coronavirus. Almost all my whole staff has had coronavirus, a couple people more than once. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a real thing. We've had a couple people sadly die um, in the last two years, literally a, a few, um, which is heartbreaking. And I don't diminish that at all. Um, but don't mistake you know, the, the fact that we, we're not afraid or freaked out. Um, fear has become, like, like we read earlier, it's, it's, a, it's a, a virtue today. To be a fearful, oh, we gotta really freak out and we gotta be worried about everything because otherwise you're not caring and you're a hater and you're a murderer. Um, that's what people are doing and saying today. But we're not to be given over to that spirit of fear and we realize that, and, and call us wacko if you want to, but there are chariots of fire round about this fellowship. I believe that. The Lord is our protector. We're, he's the great physician. He makes Fauci look like a pipsqueak. Um, he, uh, God is on the throne and he's called Jehovah Rapha, the God that is able to heal our bodies. And, and you know, I, 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 while we, you say, well, what if somebody dies? But what if you die? I think there's a lot of people who would love that. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, if I die, 
best day of my life, and you can mark my words, um, uh, is the best day of my life is the day I die and go home to be with the Lord. Um, and to the real Christian, you know, the man that believes in God, we don't count our body dear to ourselves. Remember Paul the apostle? We could hurt you. I don't count my life dear to myself. Some people, oh, I just gotta hang on to my life. It's dear to me. Nope. Um, you know, I'll lay down my life gladly uh, for my family, for my church, for my loved ones, um, and maybe even, I hate to say it, I wish I, I could say this for sure, but maybe even for my enemy. Um, this idea of laying down your life. Uh, why do people not get law enforcement today? Why is, why is the whole defund the police thing, how, how did that even get any traction at all? It's from a people that don't understand what it means to lay down your life for someone. Um, you know, like they just have no way to register that very same Antifa, you know, whatever, you know, uh, group that's downtown saying, you know, get rid of the cops and all this stuff. The, that, that same law enforcement officer that they're yelling about will take a bullet for that same person just to save their life. And because, because we have no appreciation for laying down your life and what that means, the, the Bible talks about how there's no greater love than that, than somebody being willing to lay down their life. But because we live in a culture that doesn't even get that, not, that like, not even the tip of the iceberg of that, we have this weird culture that thinks that the very people that will lay down their life, they're the enemy. That's kind of an interesting conundrum. How did that happen? It happened because of fear and people counting their own lives dear to themselves and not ha having a clue what it means to be like my grandfather's generation who went off into horrible wars in the, in the you know, South Pacific or in the European front. Uh, our culture and our younger people, they just don't have any idea of what that whole concept is. So that's where we are. We're this fearful bunch, but we should remember and, and go back a, a few generations and say, man, we believe that our lives are not dear and the Lord is in control. So he's got chariots of fire around Elisha and I believe the Lord's got chariots of fire around us. And, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we don't walk around fearful. We walk around not cavalier. That's, people mistake our lack of fear. Um, they mistake that as just not caring but it's actually quite the opposite. We don't care about our own life as dear to ourselves. We care about everybody else and that's the way men of God should be. So Psalm 23 uh, verse four says this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I mean, I know this is a common verse of Psalm 23, but you know, we, we can be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but like the psalmist, we're not afraid because the Lord is with me. That's the part we don't see with our eyes. That's the flaming chariots that Elisha saw with his servant. Um, well, so you got the, you know, the power. We're not supposed to give it over to spirit of fear, but of power. Where's that power? The power of seeking the Lord, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of prayer, the power of perspective, seeing that which we can't see with our eyes. Oh Lord, open our spiritual eyes that we see that you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Very important. Now, this is the one that I didn't know what to call it, but I'm just gonna call it this, the power of humility. Um, and I'll try to explain this and then we'll pack it up for the day. Um, this is a huge pitfall when it comes to fear and anxiety. Um, and let me try to explain. It's, it's, it's the prideful attitude of the fear of man, worrying about what other people think. Um, when you are sitting around worried, well, what are they gonna think if I say this or if I do that or if I don't wear this or that or the other thing? And we get all upset about stuff and fearful of what man will do to us or fearful, did you know that's a prideful problem? An issue of pride, worrying about what other people think about it. Do you spend a lot of time, guys, thinking about what other people think about you? One thing that's really helped me on this one, I'll just tell you, is I've, I get, the older I get, and, and you teenage guys, you have to understand this. this. This took me to get to 55 years old to really understand this. So there's a freebie for you. If you're worried about what people think about you, here's the best thing I ever learned. Nobody's thinking about you. <laughs> you think they're thinking about you. Oh, what are they gonna think? They're not. What if I wear these clothes? They don't care unless they're shorts and you're a pastor. <laughs> but most of the time, people don't care uh, what you wear and what you look like and all this stuff. Uh, most of the time, people are just not thinking. Nothing is so debilitating as the fear of men's opinions. And the fear, a few things are as freeing as just deciding, you know what, I don't care what they think. 
That's a very freeing thing. Well, Brett, shouldn't we care about what some people think? Here's the thing, and, and I, I don't mean to be too um, you know, technical on this one, but um, the only one you should care about is what God thinks. Well, what about my parents? I'm supposed to honor my parents. Well, if you care about what God thinks, God tells you already, honor your mother and father, so that's a given. If you're gonna fear what, you know, have the fear of God, which is healthy, then, then you're, you're gonna say, I'm gonna try to honor my parents. So yeah, caring about what your parents think is actually caring about what God thinks. Same with you husbands and your wives. Caring about how your wife is doing and what she's thinking, I don't care what my wife thinks. Well, that's a very godless, sinful sort of attitude and, it's, and you, are, you are not doing what God has called you. Uh, husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So, so you know, it, it's kind of like when you say, I only care about what God thinks, that's the safety net for all other things. But do I care about what the Karen in Home Depot cares about me and walking in without a mask or something like that? Um, the answer is no. Um, uh, and, and the reason is not because I'm trying to be a jerk to that person. It's because I care about what God thinks. And by the way, the reason why, I'll just tell you my, and, and, and you can disagree with me on this one. This isn't the Bible, but for me personally, I've done a lot of research on masks and wearing masks. And, um, and unless you're really, really good at wearing an M95 and, and also replacing it at several intervals during the day and having it perfectly sealed and have a huge nose and a beard and stuff, the mask, you know, will shave your beard. I'm not that fearful. I don't, I don't worry about dying. Um, but so I, I know scientifically, and you can disagree with me if you want, but masks are not what people say they are. And, that, and, and I don't wanna walk around acting like it's, it's true when I know that it's a lie. And see, when, when God says, um, I don't, as Christians, we're, we're not supposed to live by lies. That's not loving. I'm just being loving. But I think it's not loving going around making people think something that's actually not true. That's called, that's called unloving. Now, you can just differ on your opinion on that if you want, and, and that's fine. And, and, I, and if, if a person wants to wear a mask here at AC, that's great. And, I, and I'm not even, I would never discourage that if a person wants to do that. And maybe there's different people with different you know, things, and, but most of these cloth masks that we wear are ridiculous. They're not even close to helping um, at all. So, so when, it, when I talk about this, um, the, the idea is you can become prideful and I know some people might say, but you're just prideful because you're unwilling to wear a mask. No, I'm trying to be humble and submitting to God because I care about what God thinks more than I care about what man thinks. I hope, I hope you understand this. Um, you know, the word, uh, uh, we're constantly warned against being approved of by men. Um, uh, it, 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 it's essentially an inverted form of pride, being worried about what other people think. Galatians chapter one, verse 10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Did you see what Paul did there? Paul's saying, if you're trying to still please men and make men happy all the time, you are not a servant of Christ. Um, this puts us in kind of an interesting predicament in these days where people are passing around fear and anxiety and pressure to do something that you don't believe in or to you know, act in a certain way. And, and you know, it's interesting because some people might consider you know, sort of standing your ground on a topic is prideful in and of itself. But true humility recognizes that our confidence should be in God alone and forget about ourselves. The humble man knows that if God is pleased with him, then he has nothing to fear. Did you hear what I just said? The humble man knows that if God is pleased with him, then you have nothing to fear. Even if the whole world is against you, you have nothing to fear. Um, I believe we're living in days where persecution of the church could happen. I could see things turn really quickly. And if that does happen, um, are we gonna be a bunch of fearful men running around canceling church? Um, no. We need to be mentally prepared to say, what we are concerned about is pleasing God. That's our number one thing. Now, sometimes the Lord will have us humble ourselves and do things we don't wanna do just to be concerned and putting others ahead of ourselves. Um, this, there's nuances here that I'm not tackling. We do that in other teachings, but I'm, I'm just trying to kind of in a broad brushstroke, remind us of men not to cower back and let everybody else lead the fearful march, the parade of anxiety that's happening today. We need godly men who put their trust in God and realize there's power. 
There's power of humility. There's power of perspective spiritually. There's power of prayer and of the gospel and of seeking the Lord. And these are the things the Lord would call us to do and to be. May the Lord give Athey Creek men the grace to be those, those kinds of leaders that are gentle and loving. I probably didn't stress enough the love part. Power, love, and sound mind. Um, if we could do what I just explained, but also have love as sort of the pinnacle part of this work, then I'll show you a bunch of calm Athey Creekers, not just the men, but the women and the children and people around us in our communities, if we're men that are godly, not fearful, but godly, humble men that are full of power and love and of a sound mind. That's what we need. We need that today. May the Lord give us wisdom and ears to hear. Amen? Amen. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word and we pray now that it would just be internalized, Lord. Show us how to lead. I pray for men that struggle particularly with anxiety and fear. Um, Lord, would you just supernaturally um, infuse them with that confidence that comes from knowing you? Give our brothers who particularly wrestle with this um, just great strength. Um, but I also pray for guys who've just kind of let their, their confidence in you and the leadership qualities you've given them, let them go dormant or uh, just have kind of sort of for whatever reason, just let, it, let others lead in the fear and the anxiety realm. Lord, help us to step up as husbands and cover our wives that are fearful and full of anxiety. Help us to step up and cover our church, Lord, with, with just men who are pointing people to you the one who told us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Um, Lord, may we have that same word for your church today. In Jesus' name, amen.